welcome to my first ever episode to a podcast that I'm calling Breaking Barriers. This show is dedicated to exploring everyday issues that many of us in some ways can relate to and connecting these experiences back to incarceration and the justice system at large. My hope is to elevate the stories of those that are often unheard in a way that is relatable. This show will touch on everything from race, gender, clothing and style, to issues related to mental health. I'm so excited to dive into these very important conversations with you all so that we can learn together and also collectively understand our role in creating a more just system for all. I'm your host, Rashida Ricketts, and again, this is Breaking Barriers. Welcome to my first ever episode that is part of a series I'm calling, Why Does It Always Have to Be About Race? This series centers on Black lives and the inherent link connecting our race to criminality, policing, and poor healthcare access. Joined with me are two young scholars who spent most of their graduate academic careers studying American race politics in their respective fields. Not only was our conversation extremely therapeutic, we were also intentional in sharing solutions to some of the issues discussed. The conversation was great, but at the time of the recording, there was so much that hadn't happened yet. We didn't know that on that very day, across the country in Minneapolis, a father, fiance, and son named George Floyd would be murdered by four police officers and his painful execution would be broadcasted across the world in the coming days. Suddenly, everything was different. And to be honest, it was overwhelming, devastating, and it still is. It's still so weird to think that on the same day we recorded this conversation, one of the biggest turning points in the Black Lives Matter movement, and arguably in the human rights movement, of 2020 would occur, but I guess that's just God's plan. And still, the takeaways from this conversation then are still so relevant to the movement right now. So while we are still fighting for all Black lives to matter everywhere, I want to thank you all for tuning in and to be sure to seek out more content that helps you stay informed. With that said, I invite you all to open your hearts and your minds to part one of Why Does It Always Have to Be About Race? Hi. Hi. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Um, so, this is Medina. Medina, this is Mel Kwan. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Um, oh my gosh, wait. Fun fact, you guys are both alphas. <laughs> which is really oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Hey, fam. Hey, what's up, fam? I'm good. I'm good. Nice to meet you. Too. You too. You too. You can introduce yourself first if you would like. Yes. Okay. okay. So my name is Medina. I'm Burkina Bay American. I was born and raised in North New Jersey. However, my parents um, immigrated from the United States. Um, I said United States. Immigrated from Burkina Faso. Um I probably want to say maybe, I think, more than, like, three decades ago. Okay. So, you know, born and raised in Brick City, but, you know, West African roots. 
And I'm like, you know, very interested in gender racial equity and justice, uh, being raised in the hood, just being a woman, being in um, an Islamic household, being of West African um, ancestry and, um, you know, ethnicity. And then also just all my life experiences being a Darcy and Black woman in America, it, it just shaped my my politics and the way I approach and view social justice. So, you know, this is what I live, breathe and do. And I'm recently a, a master's in public administration and nonprofit and policy graduate with an advocacy and political action focus from NYU Wagner, Robert F. Graduate School of Public Service. And prior to that, I got my bachelor's of arts and sociology um, with a specialization in nonprofit community development, double minors in women and gender and sexuality studies and African-American studies. And I'm a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Ski <laughs> <laughs> I love Crazy. it. Yes. Okay. I was like, she better say where she graduated from. Right. Well, like grad. Lisa grad. Congratulations. Right. Congrats. Um, thank you. Thank you. So you graduated 2020. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just graduated like a couple of days oh, ago. Congrats. Yes. So, my name is Melquan Gansey. I'm Melquan Gansey. Um, I was born and raised in North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina, to be exact. Um, I graduated from North Carolina Central University in Durham, North Carolina. Um, I majored in mass communications there, focused with journalism. Um, I recently graduated as well um, in 2019, actually, with the MA in fashion studies. Um, so right now, um, I'm pushing forth a um, fashion platform that uses fashion and um, corresponding uh, opinion articles, as, as well as um, scholarly articles um, to to push the images, the, the visuals forward. Um, what else? Um, oh, yeah. And I'm also um, a proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Oh, six. Yes, talk heads. <laughs> <laughs> so nice I'm glad you guys got yes, get acquainted. Um, hopefully you guys can exchange contacts since you guys are fans. Absolutely. Um, and also because yes. like I think both of you guys, um, Mel, you didn't I don't know if you really talked a lot about it, but like a lot of Mel Kwan's work, it really kind of intersects in the discussion of what you're looking into, Medina. Um and like race mm. and gender and equity oh, right. and equality. So right. um, yeah, very related. Was, and that's why I wanted- nervous. No. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, this is important work. work, very important like, work. Thank doing you. it in a platform where it's like focused in fashion and it's like, mm-hmm. you don't really have a lot of people. There are people who are doing it, but you don't really have a lot of people who are kind of using their voice and their experiences to kind right. of talk about those issues. So yeah really important really cool exactly yeah it's very unique very unique um avenue that you're doing very important um so thank you both for joining um so why are we here well one before we even get into that i want to ask how are you guys both doing um during the quarantine because i know this is like not what most of us expected at all um i know even when it first when we first heard about coronavirus i did not anticipate it for it to be what it is today um so i just want to check in and shit see like how you guys are both doing um how you guys are both coping um and are you guys i know mel you're back home but medina mm-hmm. are you also back home or are you still in the city so um i've been living with uh, my folks uh once i left tcnj so i'm still okay. home um in north okay. new jersey um so 
it's it's been a very interesting experience mm-hmm. to say the least. Like, you know, um I'm Muslim, so like, you know, we say mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah for everything, even in, you know, bad circumstances and in good circumstances. Um, I'm just blessed to have, you know, uh, my family and my loved ones and my kin and all those I'm close to to be safe and healthy mm-hmm. during these times because, you know, the U.S. is currently the worst um, in the world in terms of the amount of people who mm-hmm. have died um, from the coronavirus. We're approaching 100,000 uh, very rapidly. So the fact that no one that I know of um, personally has perished mm-hmm. from the disease it's it's just a blessing and you know my condolences to all those who have um lost loved ones mm-hmm. or you know kin to the disease it's, it's it's very disheartening but um you know i have had a very unique blessing of an experience like i've been able to like really you know reconnect with myself um we just finished observing ramadan so this was the first ramadan and um lockdown mm-hmm. and quarantine and you know, normally we're supposed to go to night prayers at the masjid mm-hmm. and we're supposed to, you know, be among our community, but we couldn't do that based off of health concerns. So we had to do a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff in home. Um, and even though that wasn't necessarily the best experience, you know, it allowed me to reconnect and reaffirm my religious beliefs and just really like move inward and just take it easy, take a step back. Normally I'm always commuting back and forth um, to the city because I was working and going to school and interning mm-hmm. in the city. Um, but I just, you know, was able to stay home and just like you know just chill for a little bit and breathe and i got to mm-hmm. save some coins because you know the past <laughs> not and the cheap, cheap at all you know it was there was milk in my pockets mm-hmm. milk in sis pockets but um yeah it's been it's been definitely experience um that hasn't been you know hard um too much for me personally um and i'm in a privileged place mm-hmm. to say that you know um, I got my master's degree. I have an advanced degree. I have a college mm-hmm. degree. And even though I was a part-time worker, I was privileged to be able to have the opportunity to work at mm-hmm. home. You know, my mom, on the other hand, she was not able to have that opportunity. Like many other people of color, they are deemed mm-hmm. essential workers and they have to go outside and risk their lives. And, you know, I have much respect for all the essential workers, not only just, you know, hospital workers, but those who are, you know, custodians mm-hmm. and those who are garbage men and garbage women, Postal and those who service, do other roles yeah. and fulfill other roles that, yes, you know, and so forth. So, you know, I have much respect for them because folks like me and maybe even folks like you and, you know, Quan have the ability to stay home and like, you know, be protected and guarded where others don't have that opportunity. And that's perfect. Um, so by God's grace, you know, everything is going good, but it's, it's not looking too good for the community overall. Yeah, very true. Quan, and for you? me, um, for me, it's been, um, so I'm back, I've been back in North Carolina since, um, what the end of October, I came back. Um, I came back to, I guess, like to gather myself um, to be to get myself into a better mental space. Um, after graduating um, from grad school, um, I was experiencing a, a little, a bit of depression, um, a bit, a mm. bit of uh, stress from I'm not being able to um, find a job in the in the fashion field. Um, so it was becoming mm. a, a really a really big deal. So I came back to North Carolina. Um, with the hopes of returning back to the city um, this May, but currently we are in the, you know, facing a global pandemic. Um, so that has been postponed. Um, but mentally, um, it's, it has been, I feel like it has been challenging because it has limit. Being here, it's been in North Carolina since I've been back. Um, I've been able to like, uh, I've been able to cope through like creating um, and pushing out work uh, with my fashion platform. So I believe that, uh, you know, since the pandemic, it has it has kind of put like a kind of hold on everything mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like 
it has also influenced with like the release of my work. I feel like um, over the time, Instagram, you know, like social media has been very oversaturated with uh, with different things because mm. people are so much in the house. Mm -hmm. So it's like now that I'm starting to release work, I don't feel like everybody is catching the drift. So that's been one of the struggles with me um, during the uh, COVID-19. Um, I'm glad that like now my mom isn't, um, she isn't working. But I think right now a lot of people are facing the reality of like, what do we do next? And yeah. I think that's, sure. and I think that's like one of the biggest, I think that's probably like the biggest struggle because as of now, um, you know, North Carolina is starting to open back up and it's like, if North Carolina is opening back up, you know, they're going to be super strict with, you know, with people paying bills and paying mortgages and paying rent, you mm. know, and a lot of people have lost jobs or, you know, haven't been to work. So it's like people not con collecting a paycheck. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's been a struggle, but you know, um, this too shall pass. Mm -hmm, by God, um, yes. You know, exactly. Yes. God is always good and he always mm -hmm. shows up. All the time. It's necessary. <laughs> So <laughs> that's that. Yeah. Facts. That's fact. And thank you for your vulnerability. Yeah. That's 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 real to share that. That's, that's absolutely. Real. I think also even I think something that both of you guys touched on uh, about how COVID is impacting our community a lot differently. Um, do you guys have any thoughts or want to speak on that really briefly before we get to what's been happening with the police department in New York? Yeah. So, yeah, I would love to touch on it briefly because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a person who loves politics. I love, you know, advocacy. I watch the news. I'm kind of always, you know, keeping up to date with what's going on. And I follow a lot of different pages on social media. And I try to stay as well informed as much as possible on various issues, specifically as it pertains to, you know, race and gender um, aspects in society. And I follow um, a page called um, the Anti-Racism Center, um, I believe. It um, is an organization that, you know, propels policy that is supposed to progress the black community and black agendas. And they talked about how 19,511 black lives have been lost to date wow. um, to um, COVID-19. And that number probably jumped because when I uh, saved this post, that, that was like about four days ago or a week from now. So like that number probably already has jumped. And they talked about how black people only account for 13% of the population. Um, however, 25% um, of the deaths where race is known, um, that means that black people are dying at a rate nearly two times higher than the population share. So it's, it's just very alarming yeah. and disheartening um, how this is taking a toll specifically on black and brown mm -hmm. communities. And I, and I say black and brown communities because a lot of times people oftentimes forget yes. the brown part. Um, because, you know, Latinx communities, mm. poor communities, um, urban communities, um, yes. trans. And something actually I want to jump in just to say this. I saw this um, article by CNN um, and it was talking about the Navajo Nation has more deaths mm. up by COVID than the deaths in New York and the deaths in New Jersey. And I was that was alarming to me because wow. it's like we know that this is a very small population, but for them to be experiencing it at such high rates, like you said, it's black and brown communities that are being affected by this pandemic at much more alarm. And I'm glad that mm -hmm. and, um, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm glad that you brought up the Navajo Nation mm -hmm. and the Native American and American Indian population, because oftentimes when we talk about the plight of black and brown people in this nation, yeah. it's usually always hyper centered on black mm -hmm. and latinx communities and we often forget that you know native americans and american indians also face 
similar plights. Even though all of our plights are different, we all experience, you know, systemic and institutional mm-hmm. oppression. And it's, it's real how they're, they're deemed invisible yeah. in various spaces. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought attention to that because it's, it's necessary to um, discuss. Mm-hmm. It really is. And it's just it, like you said, it's disheartening at the end of the day, because it's like once this pandemic is over, what like everybody keeps talking about the new normal. But what will mm-hmm. that look like for our communities too? like well, once this is over? Mm. Go ahead now. Well, I would say that that's that term has been like really getting to me. Well, mm-hmm. not getting to me, but this sense of Ooh. like new normal. Mm-hmm. I feel like this new normal has been our normal. Um, like, I don't feel like this new mm. normal has been the norm for everyone else. Mm. Um, like the way, you know, from the police brutality, from like the mm. lack of, from the lack of like public health resources, um, mm. not even just with COVID-19, yep. mm-hmm. like with, you know, uh, diseases such as like uh, diabetes or yes. HIV, like there's not a lot of, mm. there's not a lot of resources for black and brown communities. Um, or adequate resources. Think, Right. And and yeah. I also believe that um, those, you know, those resources are more, um, you know, are more driven in, you know, white in white communities. Mm-hmm. And I feel like now that they now that this COVID-19 is is at the surface, um, there's been this lang- that language of mm. this new norm. But this is what mm. we've been living through. Yeah. Now it's like. Yeah. That it was there was an opportunity for everybody to you know see this for everybody to be on one level. However, you know since like the beginning, like from Trump saying you know this is a China a Chinese did he say China disease or a Chinese disease? Chinese either disease. way, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Either way, he, <laughs> he made did say it that. about you know they started to make it more so about race, and then mm-hmm. when they said that mm-hmm. you know this was you know harm more harmful to black and brown communities. You know, it brought more and brought more attention mm-hmm. and harm to black people. So, yes, there was an opportunity for people to like come together and unify. But of course, it didn't play out like that. Mm-hmm. Um, True. And the police brutality, like the excessive force that we've that we have been seeing in the last couple of weeks, is it's been it's been our norm, sadly mm-hmm. but surely. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that's so true. That's just my thought. And I'm. And I'm glad that you brought up that point about, you know, how we're placing the onus on black and brown communities to take responsibility for why we're dying right. at mm-hmm. alarming rates. And I'm glad that you brought up that point because that is tied to systemic and institutional, mm-hmm. you know, racism and systems that mm-hmm. have led to us having those preconditions and led to us being susceptible to be prone to die at alarming rates. They don't talk about Mm -hmm. environmental racism. They don't talk about um, de jour and de facto segregation. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about racism. You know, they don't talk about racism within the, you know, job markets. um, Right, institutional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, institutional inequalities that have propelled these disparities that, you know, allow for this situation to have advanced in the way it has advanced. So, I, I think it's very important for people to understand that, you know, black and brown people don't want to die from yeah. coronavirus, and it's not our fault. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's various other systems and factors that are in place that have led to the the result of what you're saying today in various capacities. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, yeah, and police brutality, nothing new. Right. We've been, nothing we've been experiencing nothing this Nothing, nothing, nothing new at all. Um, at I would all. say... I was reading this article um, today. Um, I think it was like released like May 16th and it's by John Blake. Um, he's a reporter mm. at uh, CNN. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And he was basically saying that he doesn't have any sympathy. He was a, it's a black guy. He was basically saying that he doesn't have any mm-hmm. sympathy for uh, black and brown communities at the face of like wow uh, at COVID nineteen because he feel like that we aren't taking the we're not being as precautious as we should. And I feel like the the, the topic can be complicated, but mm-hmm. I feel like um, some of the things that he was saying was true. But it's also like can come off problematic. Like for instance, you know, saying like, you know, if black people stay in the house, they wouldn't be subjected to police brutality and they also would not be subjected to COVID nineteen. Oh wow, you know, there are white people, um, or you know, people who identify as people of color who are out, you know, within the city, sitting in the parks mm-hmm. and they not being exactly harassed. like they're not subjected to harm. So it's like, how do you like like, how do you bring that conversation? How do you push that conversation? I, I want to jump in because I have an issue with that, too, because it's been we've been under quarantine for about like, what, two months now? It's probably mm-hmm. going to go on three. Yep. So what is that mm-hmm. doing to the mental health of somebody if you are forcing a person not even allowed to go out, step outside and get fresh air? I remember we were talking about this um, in a group chat about how one of our friends, she lives in Harlem. And she mm-hmm. says that mm-hmm. the police are patrolling her neighborhood, like like mm-hmm. patrolling the neighborhood on a megaphone, telling people to stay inside, stay inside, mm-hmm. stay inside. So mm-hmm. it's like for a person to be stuck be- behind these four walls, and that's all you're all the time. And if you step outside, you run the risk of being harassed and brutalized. Mm-hmm. But then on the contrary, you're seeing white spaces like people in white spaces or white communities Uh that are able to go outside and get fresh air and if they are outside not following the same guidelines that are being enforced in these black communities they are they're handed masks so i'm like it doesn't it doesn't add up i can hear what that guy is trying to say of you don't want to put yourself in a place where Mm -hmm. you can catch the virus because that is very real but at the same time Mm -hmm. It's problematic to say that exactly. black people are at the problem of this. No, problem of, of this is how they're policing different bodies and how they're choosing right. to police different Exactly. It's like, that's where the issue is. And that's why, like, what the title of this is Why Is It Always Gotta Be About Race? It has to be because you've made it about race. Like, right. from the very beginning of this, exactly. every, well, everything is always Since the inception of this nation, it's, exactly. it's been like, about race. On. Everything mm-hmm. has always been about race. And then on top of that, you know, again, back to the aspect of community and the, the use of space and place, people don't talk about how in a lot of these urban um, areas and, you know, black and brown in areas, they, they don't have, you know, a lot of the resources that our white counterparts mm-hmm. have, a lot of the open space, yes. the green spaces are often in our area. Yes. So it's like you telling people to stay inside and like New York City is not a, a, um, a big, like the spaces that they mm-hmm. allocate and like the apartments are are tiny and like if you're living in an apartment with multiple people or you have things going on in your house like you need fresh air like that's that's right. definitely important for everybody and i feel mm-hmm. like what's going on is an issue because i'm like you know i don't think black people or brown people being irresponsible american people don't understand the um aspect of collectivism a lot of times right. it's, mm-hmm. it's 
we're a very individualistic society mm-hmm. and we've been seeing this since the inception of this nation and since the start of this disease people don't listen mm-hmm. like americans do not listen mm-hmm. and they don't like being told what to do right. like in other nations it's very easy to tell people oh stay home or to enforce it mm-hmm. like you know i'm not saying that other nations don't have liberties and freedoms but you know america we've the land of the free and the home of the brave and you know liberty and right. freedom for all mm-hmm. so it's just like you know we don't live in a dictatorship where you you can just you know just do certain things. However, we do live in a society where, you know, discrimination and racism is rampant and certain communities do get harsher treatment, which is um, the center of this issue. Um, But it's just, it's much more complex just to say, oh, people just need to stay home. Like, you know. Right, and and to follow up on that article, um, let me just tell you what the name of the article headline was, just for clarity. It says, I am a black man in COVID-19 hotspot. I don't have sympathy for people of color who want social distance. So the, the headline, like some, like we said, some of the things I could understand where he's coming from, but they're still problematic. But in his article, right, he interviews this guy. His name is Donnie Glover. So basically, mm-hmm. he's supposed to be like a, a critical voice um, for African-Americans in that community. Mm-hmm. However, he took it upon himself to say that, you know, it's easy I think it's easy to play victim, but we do not have to be accountable. Um, He said, we can't blame everything on race. Some things are common sense. (laughs) And it's like, how could you be a voice for a people, yet you speak like this? So I feel like a lot of times people like like to feel like they're, you know, uh, they're a driving force for for people. But it's Mm -hmm. like you're not even doing it for the right reason. And my problem is I, I've never been a fan of anybody being the face of any movement mm-hmm. or being like the, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote person to look to. I've never been a fan of that. Um, and that's why I like the way Black Lives Matter is structured. You know, it was founded by three queer black women and the way they structured and founded it. They specifically founded it in a way in which they didn't want to to be the face or the leader of the movement, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's very important because blackness is not a monolith. Like yes. every black right. person has yes. a different struggle. And I feel like it's that's very true. problematic for somebody yes. to just be like, you know, black people, they, they just mm-hmm. should do this or black people should do this. And this is how the black experience is. Mm-hmm. Like no one, right. no one has a cookie cutter experience. Mm-hmm. And I just want to bring up the point of transportation specifically as it relates to urban areas. Um, you know, I am a person who has always taken public transportation um, for a while now, you know, I have been privileged to be able to, you know, take Ubers and take Lyfts, you know, now that they've limited the ride sharing capacity and they made it just um, a single riding um, option because of COVID. And my parents have a car, so like I can rely on them to drive me places. Mm-hmm. Some people don't have that, you know, ability mm-hmm. and that privilege. Like, it's not that some people don't want to social distance. If you need to take the bus to mm-hmm. get places, it's kind of very difficult yes. to social distance on public transportation, yes. on subways. I've seen videos of subways and buses in Brooklyn and um, Queens and, um, you know, New Jersey and other places in, you know, urban inner cities where black and brown communities um, are predominantly based. And the way in which they, they structure it is like, how are you going to social distance when people are packed onto the bus and then you're. And then they have no other means to get to work if they're an essential worker or they need mm. to get to buy groceries or, you know, yeah. so it's just like. We really have to be um, mindful of the different complexities that plague people's lives. And we can't just be like, oh, people just need to stay home. Like everybody's situation looks different and everybody is operating from a different um, space in society. Some Mm -hmm. of us have much more privilege than our brothers and sisters in the community. Yes. And I want to jump in just to say that article that you were referring to, Mm -hmm. both men 
their comments are reckless, in my opinion. Ooh, I why? think it's very yeah. reckless because mm-hmm. people aren't considering, again, all of the different intricacies that go into another person's everyday life. But I think, honestly, I don't think, I, I don't think they care to think about it. And that's where I think some of the yeah. issues might be, that I don't think the people who are putting these laws into place, and it is a public health safety, I understand that, but I don't think that people are really, really thinking about everyone. They're only thinking about a select few people, and that's why we're possibly exactly. seeing it impacting the virus impacting black and brown communities more so than any other community mm-hmm. because they they didn't keep us in mind when they came up with these different stipulations for how we're supposed to protect ourselves from the virus. Mm-hmm. They didn't really consider exactly. us. And I feel like this coronavirus pandemic is um, an issue of leadership. Oh, we yeah. have a, a terrible <laughs> leadership right now. Um, and, right. you know, People like to talk about, like, you know, it's hard to govern and it's hard to govern. But, like, we had a president, Barack Obama, mm-hmm. the former president of the United States, who dealt with, I don't want to say, you know, Ebola was a similar situation, but it was contained. You know, when it outbroke in parts of Central and West Africa, Obama had his task force. They did the necessary things mm-hmm. to stop the spread of the virus so it didn't become a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. The leader mm-hmm. that we have in office right now, Donald Trump, mm-hmm. has been doing a terrible mm-hmm. job. And, and it shows. Yeah. And it shows. From the beginning. And, you know, I don't. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I don't want to absolve, you know, Americans from, you know, responsibility. Like mm-hmm. some people are really not listening. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to just say this community. It's all communities yes. who aren't yes. listening. You make a really good point because it's mm-hmm. not just black people who are doing that. Right. Like, it's everybody. Like, right. there are exactly. More, but and, you don't see assault of those people. But you see. And they won't be assaulted. Exactly. They won't be assaulted because. Because the grace that are granted to white bodies is very different from the grace that is get granted mm-hmm. to black and brown bodies. Mm-hmm. came with assault rifles Thank you. on Thank federal you. building and federal and state property, demanding to be let out the house, demanding, making demands. It would have been a very different it, situation. And the thing is that it would have been my, really bloody, honestly. Oh, it would have been. Yeah. And what blows my mind about that is in that same state, like maybe like a week or so before that, when black people are congregating at a park you're finding each black person like ten thousand dollars is to me it's just like we can't escape what's at the heart of what is going on here and the thing is it's like we have to make sure that we're protecting everybody because already we're losing so many different people as a result of this pandemic and we need to come together as a like as a nation i mean i guess it's kind of naive to say that because We've never really been together as a nation, but it's like we really this should be like a wake up moment where it's like we need to come together as a nation because it's like this is something that we're all experiencing and we Mm -hmm. we need to work together so that we can preserve each other. All of us, like not just certain. Exactly. But all bodies. Exactly. And I want to bring in our, you know, oftentimes our invisible black and brown. Well, not even Mm -hmm. brown, but black immigrant communities Mm. like you know a lot of times when we think of the immigrant community you know it's relegated to the latinx experience Mm -hmm. and you know i I get it because of the perplexities and everything that goes on with that community and then also how the proximity to you know mexico and central Mm -hmm. and um you know latin america so i get it however there are multiple black um um, black uh, immigrant groups in this nation africans i'm an african um and my parents are um they're african Mm -hmm. immigrants you know black caribbeans and so forth so like (laughs) We talk about, we talk, you know, the stimulus checks and the mm. help that is being, you know, offered to, you know, the black community 
and you know marginalized folks but like there's a lot of people who haven't gotten any benefits from from these you know resources because of undocumentation Mm. um and you know fear of you know seeking these resources because people don't want to be deported or because people don't want to have Mm. to deal and encounter ice in other types of you know institutions that that prey on uh, doc- mm. undocumented communities. So I think that's very important to also talk mm. about that because there's also, there's a lack of visibility already when it comes to black immigrants. And then within this whole situation, there's even less visibility with their plight. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Did y'all know that um, Ronald Reagan passed a, uh, a bill so that the, the Panther, the black Panther party wouldn't be able to carry legal weapons. Did y'all know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. I heard something yes. about that. Yeah. Get like they used to carry guns to protect the communities mm-hmm. because police yep. brutality was happening then. Yeah. Um. And when they was doing this, the police brutality was going down. Like the rate of it was going down, and they passed a, a bill because the party had went to the capital with the legal weapons. So it's like mm-hmm. how you how you pass a law to hinder these men from protecting themselves and their communities, but as soon as the white man does it, it's not too long okay. ago, like. It's exactly. Okay, like, mm-hmm. yeah, and then even at these protests, you you they claim that it's about you know freedom, about being let outside, but like you have the Confederate flag with you, yes, and you have derogatory signs about Black and Brown communities, and like like what yes. like what does that have to then do with anything? Yeah, like, exactly. It's just very telling about what people's true intentions and agendas are. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wait, I wanted it's to crazy. I wanted to go back to something you said, Medina, about. Uh, immigrant populations, especially black immigrants. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think can be done? Like, what can we do to kind of yeah. combat that issue? This is why I think it's important to have, you know, intersectional group at mm. the table. I feel yeah. like it's very important to have people from various diverse backgrounds mm. um, in, 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 in various uh, aspects, whether that be in sexual orientation, sexual identity, mm-hmm gender expression, race, ethnicity, class, what have you, mm-hmm. and so forth, religion. So, you know, as a person who has multiple intersectional identities, I'm a Muslim, I'm Black, mm-hmm. I'm African, mm-hmm. I'm working class, I'm a female. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I'm I very much aware of the communities that I represent and the different experiences that ha- happen in my life and how that might affect other people. So, you know, I know a lot of, you know, my, you know, play aunties, like my kin, they, they all hear breeding shops, mm-hmm. you know? That's not an essential business. So they're out of work mm-hmm. right now. And, you know, that's that's difficult. I know a couple of people who are kin to me who, you know, do food delivery or like they work at restaurants as busboys and bus yeah. girls or waitresses and waiters. And like, you know, those businesses have been yeah. closed. So where they're come, coming from. So like, I feel like this is why it's important to have various people at the table who understand various different communities mm-hmm. and populations so they can, you know, speak to those issues that these communities are facing so policy solutions can be inclusive and intersectional when you have people who look the same or when you have people mm-hmm. who don't necessarily represent other types of groups or who don't understand the plight of other groups it's very hard to have policy solutions mm-hmm. that are going to help the vast majority of people i'm not going to say that you know it's it's going to be perfect because yeah. policy is always going to have its problematic tendencies mm-hmm. even though i'm an optimist and i believe that it could get better and it yeah. should be better um there's it's it's more of a chance for it to be better when you have people who are representative of the population and who can relate better and who can understand these communities and who can do a better yeah. job, you know? So it's very unfortunate. And my, my heart goes out to those communities because, you know, my parents are fortunately U.S. citizens, so they have much more protections yeah. than 
people who are not documented or who have green cards and stuff like that. So yeah. um, it's, it's just very unfortunate. And I think about it. I think about my, my cousins and my kin who have parents and who have family members who are in these positions. And it's, it's yeah. hard. It's very difficult. Um, but this is why we need to speak truth to power and constantly vocalize our struggle and not be ashamed of mm-hmm. it and not hide our struggles and like really connect people when we are aware of resources that can connect and help right come on I know. <laughs> i'm trying man i'm trying thank you all so much for tuning in i hope the information was insightful and re-energized and re-inspired you to get involved in the current fight that we're in i know that time has gone by and for some these issues are starting to appear in our blinders but we have to keep the momentum up For more on how to address some of the systemic issues discussed today, I found it helpful to seek out information on local strategies to defunding the police. All this term defunding the police really means is reallocating the funds from our police department and reinvesting it into services that help the community in ways that law enforcement cannot and should not. And in black and brown communities, where most of the state funding is put into the police force, defunding the police would look like more social service programs, better healthcare resources and facilities, and overall a community with similar resources provided in suburban and predominantly white spaces. Next week, we'll get more into policing and what that looks like in black communities, especially as it relates to this pandemic. Thank you all so much for listening, and I hope to see you again.